turn to 1 Corinthians. Once Corinthians, now Californians. Uh, it's our series, and it's as relative as the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, one time I was talking with Pastor Rich, and we were talking about all the immorality and all the lifestyle going on in the Bay Area. And he made a, a great comment. He said, well, we're just coming totally around to a New Testament culture. This was the kind of culture the church was planted in. Do you ever get to thinking, oh, no, we were at this high mark of morality. We're at this high mark of whatever you consider a Christian nation. And now we're just on this downward slide. And, whoa, what, can we survive it? Friend, we started there. We started uh, in the Roman Empire and were thrown to the lions. So uh, uh, let's get over it. Uh, this is the environment that God's church can flourish in. We never do too good in success. Our best, our best stance has been in suffering. God's people have been manifested the most. Uh, let me just set you up here for what's going on in 1 Corinthians. Paul had... Uh, preached the gospel to them. Many had been saved. Uh, in his absence, being over at Ephesus, he's getting uh, reports from Chloe's house that they began to fuss among themselves. And a part of that uh, fussing is sectarianism. I'm a Paul. I'm of Christ. I'm of Cephas. And, and so they got into a party spirit. Basically, when you do that, you get into men and away from God. Every time you elevate the servant higher than he ought to be, you're, you're, it's wrong. You've, you've got it mixed up. You're supposed to be into Christ. It's Christ. He uses all kinds of servants, all kinds of tools, but let's don't turn the servants into uh, what we're all about. And so Paul, in a uh, debate of what I would consider sarcasm, and if he just grants, he says, let me grant you this. There's three things about God that drives the world batty, and they call him a fool. And I'm going to argue with you about those things. The first thing they think is foolish about God is the cross. For God to think that what we really needed was someone to come and die a criminal's death, he's got to be out of his head. It doesn't appeal to the Greeks, and it doesn't appeal to the Jews. So it's absolute folly that God would invent the cross. Just want to go on record. That's, that's what the philosophers at Athens would say. It's what the Ph.D. department at Cal Berkeley would say. This stuff is stupid, that you've got to have a criminal die in the place of the innocent. Or I have a, one that's innocent die as a criminal for the criminals. It's just, it's just folly, and Paul argues that. The second thing, and today will be easy for us to get a handle on this, is the foolishness of who God chooses to be in his family. It looks like a bunch of losers. Uh, I think of all things to hit this text today on the day of Super Bowl. Are you aware of uh, how much goes on to scout the talent that will be on the field today? Uh, I got a grandson. He's only a freshman, ninth grade. He's already been to Stanford to their basketball camp. He's already been to this camp, that. He's already got guys scouting him. He's only 14 years old. No superpower, but they're already saying, if you keep getting better and you keep, we've already got our eyes on you. 
We're scouting. Now, now, if you lose a bunch of games, we're still interested. Are you kidding? We want the best, the most competitive, uh, the best in shape, the best brains, uh, the best body, the best speed, uh, the best averages, the best, the best, the best. And then you come over here, and today God's going to show you who he picked for his team, and you say, this is absolute foolishness. You can't win anything with this team. And the world says, God's got a bunch of losers. The reason you're a Christian is you're a loser. The reason you're a Christian is nobody else would have you. And amen. Sometimes we say, yeah. And what you want to say, God, is this the best you can do? The unlovely, the ungodly, and the unlikely. And that's you and I as a whole. Some of you are not in that category. You were born to nobility. Doesn't sound like many in this crowd. Uh, You were born with the highest IQ in your class. You graduated first in everything. E.V. Hill said when he graduated, he was uh, the most outstanding student, had the highest GPA, uh, the most outstanding student, and the only one in his class. Uh, And then we'll look next week They not only think God's a fool because of the kind of people he has in his family, they think God's a fool because of the kinds of men he uses to preach. Preaching is foolishness to the world. And so today, let's just pick up probably on the easiest one to see, and you've got an outline there. What most of the chosen were not. Pick up verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were. Now remember, they're getting cocky, arrogant. And they're all getting in love with human wisdom. Paul says, let me just remind you of your conversion. When I came to Corinth, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. You were actually converted. Called is used two ways in Scripture. One's a general call. Then it became used of those who heard the call, responded, effectually called, became God's. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly or humble things of the world and the despised things, and here's the insult, and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, the zeros. The most insulting term in the list is right there because to Greeks, being was everything. And when you tell a man, you are an absolute nothing. That's what he's saying there. Even the nothings, God saved. Why? To nullify the things that are. Why? So that no one may boast before him. It is because of him, God the Father, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom. And then really it's three apposition descriptions. The wisdom God gave us in Christ has three manifestations. This wisdom is a wisdom that has given us a righteousness with God, a holy standing before God, and has redeemed us out of the market of sin, the slavery of sin, 
Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Uh, What most of the chosen were not, three things. They weren't wise by worldly standards. It doesn't mean Christians are stupid. It doesn't mean we can't count to 10. He's not saying they were stupid. But when you went to Athens, there weren't any Christians at Mars Hill debating philosophy. They weren't up there with Socrates. They weren't hanging out with Plato. They, they, they just weren't in. No, when I found you folks at Corinth, I didn't find any PhDs in philosophy. None of you. You, you would have been up at Athens if you'd been in that smart, smart crowd. But you're 45 miles away from Athens down near Corinth because you want the immoral lifestyle and the wealth that comes into that seaport. And he said, no, you weren't there for education. But now you've become smart Alex, on me. You think that uh, uh, this thing is not quite wise enough for you. you. You're being led astray by philosophy, falsely so-called. And so he says, uh, not many of you are wise by the world standards. Lady Huntington, a woman of nobility in England, she said she was saved by an M because he said, had he said not any noble birth, she couldn't have been saved. But she said, not many. He has saved some very brilliant people, most of whom most of us have never met, but they're out there. We've got some brilliant minds. I love going to, that's what was so great about going to seminary. You thought you were a hotshot student. Every prof of every department would make you feel that big far as knowing so much in their department. I had a friend of mine that was doing his PhD at Oxford in Hebrew. And he said, uh, the saying around Oxford for doctoral students is, you're not enrolled at Oxford unless you're depressed. Because every prof would riddle them. And, and matter of fact, they didn't grant him the doctorate. He wrote two theses in Hebrew. And well, because the doctoral profs changed on him, one wanted this approach. He got a new one because this guy took a sabbatical. So he got a new one. He spent $100,000, four years in England to be sent back to the States. We don't, I don't like your doctoral thesis. Go home. He got his PhD from another school. Uh, so not... Not many brilliant people seem to come to faith. And Paul knows that. By the way, Paul was no Dumbo. How many languages can you speak? I would think Paul probably had four or five under his belt, trained at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the most brilliant rabbinic minds of the day, and God turned his world upside down in conversion he did, but he no longer trusts his education. He no longer trusts his degree. He, he's now uh, been captured by the wisdom that's found only in Christ. So he doesn't talk about his earthly credentials anymore. He talks about what he discovered in Christ. You know, it's like that guy that graduated when he walked across the platform to get his BA degree. The world was at the end of the platform, and when he got there, it took him by the hand, and the world said, let me teach you the rest of the alphabet. You didn't get it all in college. You just got A and B. Let me teach you the rest. Now get married and see if you can stay married. Now have some children and see if you know how to raise them. Now see if you could survive the sharks in the workplace. I want to teach you a lot more things, a lot more to learn. 
Well, he said, not many wise, uh, not many strong, and uh, not many of noble birth. So that, just ask yourself here, uh, where were you when God found you? Uh, what were you doing? Now, see, you, you folks right here would be one of the more sophisticated audiences. You ought to go to the two-thirds world where people don't get a college education. You ought to go where the uh, national or the yearly income is $200. Did you know the church is exploding and has been exploding in China for years? That we know there's over 50 million Christians there. It's been exploding in Latin American countries, starting with South America. It's going, they now say, Christianity Today says, now more Christians speak Spanish as their primary language than English. Churches exploding all over the world, and it seems to be where they are the poorest, least educated, and the least impressive. God is turning things upside down. And the smarter, Europe has got this lead ceiling over it. They're all too brilliant for Christianity. They've thrown that off. They out-educated themselves. They're now good pagan humanists, that there is no God involved. It's real hard in Europe, and it's getting harder in America except among people that are desperate. If you've got the cars, you've got the money and the education, Christianity doesn't even appeal. That's for the poor side of humanity. And Paul knew this was their thinking. So he said, I admit not many great people has God called to himself. Then he starts in, uh, let me tell you what most of them were. What most of them now? This may not be you, so don't get all... Huffy with me. You may be brilliant. You may be a PhD that wrote your thesis on calculus. Wonderful. We welcome you. Welcome you to the fellowship of a lot of dummies. Not too flattering, is it? Look what he says. Verse 27. God chose, is your, let me read it to you in the Greek. God chose the morons. That's the Greek word, moronic. Most. Oh, isn't this something that by the world's standards, they'd be down here and God's introducing them to the wisdom of God. He said he withheld it from the brilliant in Matthew 11, but I'll reveal it to nursing babes. I'm withholding it from the super wise and the intelligent that you're impressed by, and I'm going to just reveal it to those that seem like babes in understanding. This is the way God, it just, the way God works. Um, not many, uh, according to the world, were considered strong, but weak, weak people. C.S. Lewis wrote that great line, God only whispers to us in our pleasure. He shouts to us in our pain because pain is what makes most people come to Christ. And so you hear people say, Christianity is a religion for weak folks. Right. Where do you go to? Drugs, happy hour, everybody finds something to do for their weakness. Uh, well, it's for people that, you know, yeah, it is. It's a brand new life. It's not many strong. Oh, no. When you're doing good, health is good, everything's going right. Who needs God? Paul knows that. God knows that. That's why he has plans to nearly break your neck if he has to, to save you. I think of a John Anderson that runs our local losers club called the Bay Area Rescue Mission. Only losers wind up in the mission, right? Only people losing their family 
become addicted to alcohol, drugs. And we say, oh, only losers. Uh, the off-scouring, nothing left down there. This man was making money hand over fist, successful in business, successful upward, upward, upward. And in the midst of it, became addicted to things and took his money for that which would ruin his life. At the bottom, falling at the bottom at a rescue mission in San Diego, God turns his life around and took a guy that had been a winner that sinned and made a loser, and God's now made him a winner again. You see, because God picks up losers. That's what our message is about. I'm trying to stay calm after last Sunday. We nearly burnt the building down. Second service. You guys are my more quiet hour. The second service is more spiritual. They get louder. Um, he, he chose the uh, lowly things, humble things, and despised things. Now he's getting a little intense here. And, and it's uh, despised. What, what the Greeks said, yuck, I don't even want to be seen with these people. He said, God cho- chooses those kind of people. And finally, things that are not. We say nobody's zeros. Um, it's amazing. Uh, I've been around Christians a long time, and there's sometimes I wish they belonged to somebody else. In the olden days in this area, people used to shop downtown Richmond. Anybody ever shop downtown Richmond? Macy's? You remember that? Cress's? Fox Theater? Anybody remember UA Theater? See, we're native-born. The rest of you are aliens. I mean, this is in the 40s and 50s, 60s. Shop downtown, 10th Street, right down there, Hotel Don. Uh, but you know what? My folks and so many people would get out of the projects. You went down there. Everybody met downtown, it seemed like. And, and my mother and Hazel would be there. I'd be along, of course. And my dad... He greeted everybody, especially all these churches. He went to a lot of different churches and knew all these people. And sometimes he'd be mixing up with people. I personally, as a kid, said, man, I hope there's none of my buddies around. These are not high-class people. Just because you go to church with them, surely you don't have to greet them downtown. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, you guys, you look so cool. Don't tell me. There's some folks you say, man, God let them go to another church. I mean, we, we need some good advertising. We need the bankers in this church. We need lawyers. We need, we, we need to upgrade around here. We need an upgrade. You'd visit the church at Corinth. You'd see former prostitutes, former homosexuals, former thieves, former temple worshipers, former idolaters, former gangsters, former everything that you were trying to stay protected from. You'd meet them at church because God was saving them. Left and right. And once in a while, he saved a real nice person. There are nice people, too. Don't go out and rob a bank to get qualified to be saved. No, no, you need, you need to be saved even if you're real nice. You need Christ. Uh, sound like I'm saying go out, rob, and be kind of, and then you're qualified. No, you, just as soon as you were born, you were qualified. You need Christ. But he's just saying, God chose these people. And you know what's interesting about this word chose? It's always when it's used of God, it's a middle voice in Greek, and it means he chose them for himself. Uh, Some people do not like this idea that God gets to choose who he wants to save. He's just saying, who do you think you are, God? Well, 
God is one thing. That helps. But no, no, you, you just can't do that. Uh, let me ask you this. Who did you take to the senior prom? Did you take who you wanted? Or did your mom pick the date? Or some, someone in school had mercy on this one girl that couldn't get a date, so I'll take you. No, no, you didn't. You chose your date, didn't you? I might be stepping on toes. I, this is an illustration. Don't get me. You know. I got to, uh, by the way, who picked your wife? Mother? Mother-in-law? I want to get rid of this girl. Marry her. No, no. Who, did you get to pick? But here's the thing that throws you off. Here's the thing. Now, hear me. You mean to tell me the Greeks were saying, you don't have any better taste than that and you're God? You don't know how to pick a winning team? You don't know how to pick people? They're losers. They're stupid by the world's standards. They're not impressive. They're not too strong. Their bank account doesn't look good. They don't live necessarily in the best neighborhood. They're not impressive. They're not power brokers. Who even knows about them? Nobody. And then God comes along and says, I want you. I want you. But wait, wait, God. There's a better person next to them. I know it. I'll take the unlovely, the unlikely, the ungodly, and the unworthy. Uh, but, but there's something wrong with you. Well, you, uh, you don't know how to pick. When you go buy fruit, you pick the best. You don't get that which is about half rotten to pick, do you? I, leave me alone. I know what I want to choose for myself, for my own pleasure. And the majority of what I choose, the world will call weak, foolish, nothings, nobodies, unimpressives. He did that when he chose a nation. When he chose Israel, he said, I didn't pick you, Israel, because you were the biggest nation. I didn't pick you because you were easy to get along with. You're stiff-necked people. I'm going to have to put up with a lot of stuff just to be your God. But I want you. Abraham, you're nothing but a Gentile moon worshiper down in Ur of Chaldee. But I call you, get out of there and go where I tell you, and I'm going to build a nation out of you, and out of your loins is going to come a king and a messiah. I want to do it with you. Hear me? Go. God, couldn't you have picked a great monarch? All this guy owned were sheep and a few tents. That's who I want. You can't pick Israel. I can't. You can't pick that kind of people. I did. Why? I did it for my own pleasure. Did you know what? If you're a believer here this morning, God chose you for his own pleasure. And he didn't choose you because he needed you to make the team win. Most of us have been a liability ever since we've been on the team. Can't catch, can't throw, can't run. How did we make the team? Well, the captain says, I can carry the ball. I can win the game by myself. I just want you to join the victory parade. Huh? I'll win the game myself. 
I'll let you be in on the... And that's exactly what he says in 2 Corinthians 2. We are in the train of a conquering Christ. We didn't win the battle. We've been captured by the king. And God says, I'm going to let you sit on the throne and enjoy the victory that I win. I joined you to be my partners and spectators. I'll build my church with or with. I don't need brilliance. I don't need what the world's impressed with to build my church. I can build it on my son alone. That's, that's why you and I are here. This is great. I mean, if your pride can take it, this is great. But if, but if you think you're, God's impressed with you, oh, you're enslaved, you're still looking in the mirror. Someday when you quit looking in the mirror, you might start seeing God. It's a wonderful deliverance to quit looking in the mirror and start saying, there's someone above us that's above us that makes all the difference. Now, he's going to tell us something here that I think is just marvelous. Uh, he's going to uh, say, why did God choose this way? This is so straightforward. You don't even need me to do anything but just kind of cough and burp. I mean, it's, it's here. You look at it. Well, why did you do this? I want to shame the strong. They're so strong, they won't come to Christ. They're so wise in their own eyes, I'm going to put them to shame and show them that trusting in their earthly wisdom has made their lives miserable. Pastor Rollins used to work with some brilliant men uh, in some labs, and he tells me this. We've been together 20 years. I know the stories. Brilliant, do this and that. Couldn't keep a marriage couldn't keep from getting drunk all the time, but was a brilliant man, a brilliant scientist, but just couldn't make life work. Miserable in life, but brilliant in his field. Have you ever met anyone like that? They can run a company, but they just can't keep a marriage. And he said, I'm going to shame. I'm going to show your your wisdom doesn't work. Your, Your wisdom can't even make your kids turn out right. Your money can't buy a kid that loves you and wants to stay off of drugs. You can't buy it. You'd give any price. And over here, some old poor guy you're unimpressed with has kids that love him. Kids that love him. My dad said, you kids are my riches. Just a poor boy. Just an iron worker. Living government projects. And he'd pray at the table said, God, my riches are these children. He said, a poor man's riches are his children. Any of you, any of your parents ever pray that way? So he had seven. And we kept him poor. You know? But he said, because guess what? I never got so old. I never got so old. None none of my brothers and sisters, you know, they're in this church. I don't have to, if I'm lying, you can go to any of my brothers and sisters. None of us ever got so old, but we wouldn't find out a way to drive back and see that old man and that woman. Never. I flew home at least once a month, no matter where I lived. Why? I was their treasure, as was my brothers and sisters. And all of us will meet him in heaven. But he's just fourth grade educated Cherokee Indian. Unimpressive. They have not, I've not ever found any of my ancestors in a who's who list. I keep looking at the post office, though. (laughs) 
Yeah, I love the story that McGee on the not noble birth, you know, I've told it before, that his aunt was always trying to find the blue bloods in their family. And he tells this quite common. And uh, he, one day he would always just derail her. He said, well, one day he said, well, have you found any uh, ornery people back there? I, she said, what do you mean, Vernon? He said, you know, bootleggers, thieves, and stuff. He said, I'm insulted that you would make such inquiry. Why do you ask? He said, I feel it every once in a while in my blood. I, I just feel it wants to bust out. And uh, don't, you don't want to go too far back in your family tree. Don't, don't. You, you just don't. Don't. It's depressing. Wow. Uh, so why did God do all of this? He said, I'm going to uh, bring to naught what the world trusts in. And one of his greatest objects is verse 29. I'm going to fix it so no, none of you can boast before me. I want to do it in such a way, it is so hard to get human beings to quit bragging and boasting in something they've done. And he says, I did salvation in such a way that nobody will come before me and say, I know why you chose me. I was the best, the best sinner. Nobody brags that he finally chooses because nobody was chosen on human merit like a coach would pick. He said, then, then he says, here's the thing God did. God the Father said, I'm going to put you in Jesus Christ. And when I put you in Jesus Christ, the dumbest, least educated man in the world just was identified with the wisdom of the ages, the only one smart enough, wise enough to reconcile you to God. I'll put you in Christ. And in Christ, he will become your righteousness before God. You'll stand justified. And in Christ, I'm going to put you there, besides in this wisdom, I'm going to put you there and get this. I'm going to make you holy for the first time in your life. And let me tell you something about holiness. It has two aspects. Uh, In in the Old Testament, they could take a a utensil and they would just pray over it, the priest, and they said, we dedicate that as holy to God. Now, no moral change had happened, let's say, to the mic or the utensils in the tabernacle. Nothing inside that utensil happened, but it was all of a sudden set apart from secular usage for sacred usage. That is now a sacred utensil set apart for the priest in the tabernacle. And God said, when I chose you for myself, I placed you in Christ Jesus, and he has given you a righteousness And you are no longer ordinary. I've set you apart from this world, and now you're for divine use. You're my property. You're mine. You're sacred. Oh, you may have sinned today. You've got to develop in personal holiness and personal. But on my worst day, I'm holy to God because I'm in Christ. I've been set apart. I've been set apart. That's why as a Christian, you can't pull off a life of sin. You've been set apart. He won't leave you alone. And then he said, in Christ, you've been redeemed. Now, there was 12 million slaves in the Roman Empire at this time. And you were a slave through one of two ways then. 
And you got to know, the most common term to designate a Christian in the New Testament is slave. Did you know that? Because American slavery went around. The Roman Empire. But what we've done, the translators, and they did it all the way back with the Geneva Bible under Calvin, the word was so offensive, they, in their translations, switched it to servant. They wouldn't translate it slave. But if you look up Kittle's lexicon, a 10-volume set on Greek words, doulos has always meant slave, and that's what it means, slave. And we are called that 175 times in the New Testament. God says, you were a slave to him. But here's what he did. To get you to become my slave and, and treat you good, I bought you off of the slave block of sin and the power of hell and I paid a price at the cross, and I bought you, and I made you my own, and I could say to you, I redeemed you. You women, know, you know what redeeming is? When you go down and give them a little cash to get a brand new coach purse, you just redeemed it. You paid a price to make it your own, right? Or visa to pay. And he said, in Christ, God bought you Weaklings, you foolish in the sight of the world, you nobodies, you nothings. He paid full price in the death of his son on the cross, and he has made you his own by divine acquisition. And now, hear me, you've got a master from now on. By the way, the easiest way to say what a true Christian was in the New Testament 700 times you said, Jesus is my Lord, Romans 10, 9 and 10. I'm my Savior, my Lord, over 700 times. I'm under a new master. I've been bought. I'll either be a slave to unrighteousness and sin and hell and death, or I'll be a slave to the God that died for me. You've got to serve somebody. Who are you going to serve? Will it be the devil or the Lord? Bobby got it right. You've got to serve somebody. Got to send a Brooklyn Jewish boy to write us a song to get the theology of the Bible. You've got to serve somebody. It's either the devil or the Lord. Who will you serve? You're somebody. That's why Jesus said you can't serve two masters. The word servant, a servant can serve many masters. A servant can have five different jobs, but not a slave. No, 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 no. I'm not a diagonos. I'm a doulos. And you're a slave either by being conquered or you were born into a slave family. And you see, we are gods through the conquering work of Christ on the cross. He bought me out of the slave market of sin and death, and he's put me in this royal family. And when I got to be in the family, I found out he turns the slaves into sons. He turns them into co-heirs. He shares everything. He elevated me more and more, but I started out being bought. I've been bought. You ought to ask yourself, who owns you? I said, who owns you? The company? My companies, a lot of guys, they say the Lord because they're in church, but they're lying. Who really owns them is uh, the company. The company tells me everything. I'm a slave to my job. That's why work in America has become an enslavement to many men. 
They want 60 to 70 hours of work, want to pay me for 40. They don't care if I keep my marriage. They don't care if I know my kids. You just got to make money, and you got to make this company a profit. Who owns you? You got to get this in your head if you're a believer. I've got a not for sale sign right there. I've already been bought. I've been bought. I don't want the church to own me. I don't want the board to own me. I don't want you to think you own me. You don't own me. You didn't die for me. You didn't buy me. I'm owned by Christ. I'm his property. So what happens in this body? I want to show off my master. Now guess what? He stripped me of boasting in verse 29. And now he says in verse 31, you can't boast before God, but you can boast in God. You can't boast anymore that I'm the best, the wisest, all this and that, all my human credentials that won his favor. I now say I boast in such a God that would put me in Christ. I got plugged into the wisdom of the ages. And when I got in there, God's wisdom found a way to make a hell-deserving sinner like me right in his sight. Found a way to put me in a status of being sacred and holy. Found a way to purchase me out of my sin and my darkness and made me his own. And now, what we ought to be doing from now on is boasting in this great salvation. And what the Corinthians had done, their boast had moved from the cross and from God's salvation to men. They were boasting about men. Quit bragging on men. Boast on the God that could get you into Christ is what he's telling them. Boast, boast in him. I, I love the story that uh, a man that used to be Dr. Uh, John Walford's assistant used to come to our church, uh, George Rutenbar, uh, uh, told the story how that uh, uh, at a senior convocation at Dallas Seminary, uh, they have a senior chapel, and this is the day all the Ph.D. candidates and, uh, and guys, you know, Ph.D. in Hebrew, Ph.D. in Greek, church history, New Testament exegesis, on and on, and, and all these guys, and they would come into chapel. Let's say this is chapel. This is a student chapel, and every guy's wearing his hoods and, and wearing the degrees, you know, marked out by your robes. And uh, the Hebrew guys were carrying the Biblia Hebrica, you know. I, I know the Hebrew. and The boys are carrying the Greek Testaments. They're, you know, showing off their major. And they're there and they're coming along. And it's a pompous kind of day. This is big stuff. And just about the time they got here and started forming into the chairs, some students had gotten together and arranged a banner, and they had it rigged some way, that by the time the class got to the front, they unleashed this banner, and it came down, and it said, is this the best the grace of God can do? Kind of took the wind out of the sails. Dr. Walbert said, after this chapel, whoever did this, if they're not in my office in two minutes, we will cancel your degree." So they got in there, and George saw the guys that were confessing. And they are very prominent preachers today. They had a ball. But the whole pun was, is this the best the grace of God could do? And you know, if I brought worldly wise men and brought them here to interview you, I'd say, 
I want you to meet some of God's chosen people. I'm sure they'd leave and say, is that the best he can do? You, you don't think you're the best he can do, do you? Think about it. Just look at the person next to you. Would you choose them? Don't look. I appreciate it. Some of you are wondering about your choice. Well, anyway, uh, we, we, we are rich in hymnals. And I'll read some of the lines, but uh, listen to what John Newton wrote for his own epitaph. John Newton, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. You think you're the worst? The Apostle Paul said, uh, no, I claim that. If anything in the New Testament, I want to be known as the best and first at, I'm the chiefest of sinners. Let no one else take that station from me. I wonder if there's any chief sinners in this place that you waxed eloquent at rebelling against the God who now saved you. Listen to the hymns. Depth of mercy can there be, Charles Wesley. Just want to read it to you. Depth of mercy can there be, mercy still reserved for me. Can my God his wrath forbear and the chief of sinners spare? I have long withstood his grace, long provoked him to his face. Would not hear his gracious calls, grieved him by a thousand falls. Now incline me to repent, let me now my fall lament. Deeply my revolt deplore, weep, believe, and sin no more. This is Charles, 1700s, graduate of Oxford University. Or you get these words. Billy Graham used them, but listen, just as I am without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bids me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am poor, wretched, blind, sight, riches, healing of the mind, I need in thee to find, O Lamb of God, I come. Or the old southern spiritual we sing. Come, ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus is ready, stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. And of course, I love the last. Come, ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. I must say, most of us came ungodly, unlikely, unworthy, and we found the miracle of all miracles. God, who could make any choice of people he wanted, chose us for himself. I close with something I keep in my Bible all the time. James Denny wrote this. Uh, Rich always gets me. I never read anything contemporary because I'm not reading his books enough. Um, this was written in the 1800s by James Denny in the Expositor's Commentary. There have been men so clever that God could make no use of them. 
They could never do his work because they were so lost in admiration of their own. But God's work never depended on them, and it does not depend on them now. It depends on those who, when they see Jesus Christ, become unconscious once and forever of all that they have used to call their own wisdom and strength. The supreme law of the kingdom is still the glory of God and not the glory of the clever man. If you're going to boast, boast in what God has done for you in Christ, and that will employ you for eternity. You will never exhaust it. Cease from man and begin. Quit griping. That won't ever help you. Start glorying in the cross. I will not boast save in the cross by whom the world's crucified to me and I to it. I will glory in the cross. Our Father, I thank you for the cross. I thank you for the foolish, weak, nothings you've saved, including me. I thank you that you stooped to the lowest and you saved the worst among us. For you did that when you saved a wretch like me. May we get over our pride and over human religion in comparison and let us lift high a crucified Christ and the sovereign choices of God that slays all human merit and elevates grace, grace, grace upon grace. And if there be any here today, Father, that does not know you and They think they're too smart for Christianity. They think they're too strong. They'll come to it when they're uh, about to die of cancer, about to fade away. Deliver them from their insanity for they can't even guarantee they'll be alive tomorrow. All their strength could be removed in one 24-hour period. The greatest wisdom of all is who is wise enough to give me a right standing with God and buy me out of this night of sin, only the wisdom of God found in Jesus. I praise you for it. Save them, don't let them perish. For Christ's sake, I pray, amen.